and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. This morning, we're going to continue our studying regarding the role of the high high priest in the role of the Hebrew Christians, early Christians, and also in our life. And I'm hoping that this morning, this just kind of awakens you to this role that we usually don't refer to for our cultures and everything else, to what we really need inside each of us. This role was prescribed by God as a mediator between man and man's compliance with God's law. I thought Brendan did a really good job last week talking about how the covenant was the relationship that we have with God. It's a thing that kind of is the, the connector to our relationship to God. And we know that in this role as high priest, we've been looking at the specific duties he had to fulfill and the certain values he would have to maintain. And so we've looked at this role from different perspectives. We've, we've looked at this role from the perspective of the law in the Old Testament. And then we've kind of expanded that as we looked at this guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is an interesting figure because you, know, you have Abram going out to get Lot who's been taken into captivity with all of his possessions and he goes out and he retrieves Lot and he brings him back and then out of nowhere comes Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is described as a priest of the Most High God. But he didn't really fit into the Old Testament definition of that. He didn't come from the right lineage. And yet we see so many comparisons with who Christ is, we automatically see why the Hebrews writers look at this and they compare it with Christ. Last week we considered the high priest in terms of being the mediator, facilitator of the covenant and the relationship with God and how important that was. So when, when we look at the priest, I want us to kind of back off a little bit and look at the cultural significance of what this priest, priest <laughs> meant to the people. Um, basically, it was selected according to the line of Aaron and Levi, or the Levites. And they were given sacred responsibilities in terms of being the officiator of the mercy of God through the presentation of sacrifices and offerings. One time a year, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would make a sacrifice for the entire corporate community of the Jewish believers. And then every day, he'd have to make sacrifices for everyone's sins plus his own. And so that was the sacred duty of the priest. Hebrews points out that the high priest's daily sacrifices were emphasized for his sins and for the sins of others. So we realize he is not perfect. But we also have to realize the position of respect he had. See, the priest was regarded as the protector of the nation, the assurance of national security and prosperity. See, in the Old Covenant, one of the things, if you kept the law, God would protect the nation of Israel. If you didn't keep the law, the nation was exposed. So that high priest had a lot of responsibilities maintaining people's relationship to God, making sure the covenant 
was obeyed and making sure he did sacrifices exactly as it was prescribed in the Old Testament. And because, once again, it, it originated through lineage, there was a sense of royalty about it. Not anyone could be a high priest. And we even find in the New Testament, when Paul was addressing the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, and they rebuked him for how he was speaking to them, he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know he was the high priest. So this was a great, a, a, a great significance to the people that was to be respected and honored, and they, it was the main source that would protect them. In Hebrews 7, 27 through 28, it reads, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. So the law appoints humans that are weak. But the word of oath, the same word of oath that called Melchizedek out to be a priest of God is the one that appointed a son who was perfect forever. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want someone representing me that's not very perfect or very good, right? They can be really kind of uh, vulnerable, right? And you, do, you don't have to look any farther than the Old Testament when you look at Aaron and his sons. Now, Aaron was the perfect high priest, right, originally? He was the one that was going to help Moses speak. Um, as God was speaking through Moses, uh, Moses was supposed to speak, but Moses didn't feel comfortable with that. And so God allowed Aaron to come alongside him and speak for him. So he was like the perfect high priest to start out the Old Testament law. And so Aaron begins the priesthood. His sons automatically become a part of that because it's through lineage. They get on their priestly robes. They follow all the requirements in terms of building that ta tabernacle. And everything is done appropriately and not very much longer after that. His sons start taking advantage of the position and they start officiating in ways God has not prescribed. Now if God is calling someone to represent a mediator between God and man, they better know what they're doing and they better do it as God says it. And they didn't. And unfortunately, it cost them their lives. So we understand that, that this position, the whole nation was vulnerable to the leadership of the high priest. And we also understand that faithfulness can be corrupted with power. Faithfulness can also be corrupted with faithlessness. You know, we can kind of see it in the New Testament as well. You know, when we see Jesus and we see them trying to plot against him to kill him and the Sanhedrin has gotten together and the high priests are there and Caiaphas, the high priest of the Old Testament that is supposed to be the mediator between the law and the keeper of the law compromising out of fear. Because in the law, if you kept the covenant, God protected the nation, right? But he was scared. He was scared. And he gives into things like thou shalt not bear false witness. And he does. And he knows about thou shalt not commit murder. But he does. He gives in. And he's the high priest.
So essentially what's happening here, since we don't have audio, <laughs> um, he's saying that, you know, we have to do something about this. This guy's going around and he's, he's raising the dead, he's healing people, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're going, oh, but people want to kill him, and, and if we kill him, he'll be more popular, and he goes, Caiaphas says, don't you understand? It's better that one person die for the people than to lose the entire nation. So he couldn't even maintain that. He sacrificed Jesus to save the nation when the covenant said all you had to do was be faithful. So he maintained the terms of relationship between God and man, that was the plan. But he was also supposed to be the arbitrator for representation and redemption under the law and the covenant that was being represented. So we have to kind of go back a little bit and understand what our new high priest represents. And we see the Bible kind of in the Old and New Testaments. And sometimes it's easy to get a little bit confused. But if we keep it in perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Um, biblical scholar John Bright has a really good perspective on this. He presents that the Old Testament and New Testament should be seen as a two-act play. Neither one of them can be seen independent from the other. So what happens is sometimes people focus in the Old Testament not understanding the Old Covenant, and they try to apply it to the New Covenant, the New Agreement, and it doesn't apply. So getting buried in the Old Covenant without understanding the parties it addressed, the terms it required, and the distinct promises delivered can make the two covenants easy to confuse. So I kind of like to define it this way. Kind of like an old constitution and a new constitution. A constitution represents the basis for future covenants and agreements. For instance, our constitution has several different types of laws, but it all conforms to that constitution. The old covenant had the same thing. They had the Abrahamic, the Noachic, the Davidic covenants, and several other covenants besides that. It was the old constitution, but one thing we need to understand, that there was a purpose in the old covenant, and there is a purpose in the new covenant. And what they both do so well is that they lead us to Christ. Scripture says the law became a tutor to lead us to Christ. So the context of the Bible, both covenants, centers in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament foretells Christ and his mission. The New Covenant foretells, I'm sorry, reveals the gospel of Jesus, his life. The book of Acts proclaims Jesus into the world, Holy Spirit and the church. In the epistles, we have the significance of Jesus explained. And finally, in Revelation, we have the completion, including Jesus' return. So whenever there's a covenant, there has to be a high priest that represents that covenant between God and man. So this new covenant would need a new priest with new qualities. Now, we've already said that the high priest in the old covenant was weak, right? And in the new covenant, we see that Jesus is perfect made perfect forever. Because the Old Testament priests were weak, he could not completely meet our needs. I don't understand why certain religions try to, to recreate an earthly priesthood. I don't know about you. Like I said, I would not want someone imperfect representing me before God. 
Hebrews 7, 26 through 27, describes this new priest, Jesus, with the new covenant as being empathetic and holy. It reads, such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So in working this out, we kind of realize that everyone needs a priest. They just don't know that's the title, what they're looking for. They're looking for someone to help them when they're powerless. And this particular priest, for the new covenant, has no daily need. Now, what was the daily need? Sin, right? The daily sacrifice was for taking care of their sins. So Jesus was perfect. So he's more than qualified. It says to offer it, offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he did this once and for all when he offered himself. So God's provision to deal with sin, consistent with the Bible, was to take the innocent for the guilty. The lamb was innocent. We are guilty. In the New Testament, we have the perfect sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice, Jesus being perfect for us who are guilty, one time, for all time, forever. You know, this, this time where people need this priest, it's, it's time when they need a mediator. And they seek it in different ways. Sometimes it's times when they're feeling powerless. Or when this, a series of life events have taken them and they don't know how to respond. It might be through grief. It might be through a tragedy that's happened. Maybe it's a time when they face condemnation, when they've done something and there's no way they can undo it. Maybe they face severe depression, where, in such a, where they're in such a dark cloud, they can't see what's going on around them. Life may not be worth living. There's no hope. Or maybe it's just a simple, poor self-concept, where everything that's happened in your life has told you you can't do something. You can't be successful. You can't have a successful marriage. Now, personally, I don't know if Satan is that interested in threatening us with success or anything else on earth. But I do believe, I do believe, he is concerned with you believing that you can fulfill the Great Commission and that you can know God. He wants you to think that can't happen because of everything you've done in the past. My friends, at that point, you need a high priest. You need someone to mediate between you and God. And you need to look and trust what God says about you. The reason why I think everyone needs a priest is because culturally, we seek advocates. We look for attorneys, sponsors, pastors, shamans, therapists, doctors, politicians, <laughs> life coaches. And it's we want them to guide and direct us because we're lost. We're lost. In our culture, people also seek an ideal idol, like Hollywood images. And yet we know what those lives are all about. I used to work in Hollywood. I used to work with several major bands, very famous people and movie stars and everything else, and they were lost and people wanting to be like them and follow their life. But you know what? There wasn't anything there. It was a vapor. It was an illusion. And they knew it. If we can't find an idol, sometimes, like I said, we find a politician. The other thing I've never understood, 
Now, and sometimes, you know, we just need someone that can represent us, someone that, that, that will do what is right. And if you've ever had higher attorney, you had that thing was, did I get a better attorney than the other guy? You know, it's like justice can actually hang in the balance. But in our case, Christ became both victim and priest. He became the perfect sacrifice, paying and redeeming. And priest, advocate. So once again, the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of oath from God, which came after the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. So we go in the Old Testament from the temporary to the eternal. Not only did he give himself up for a sacrifice, he did it once and for all, forever. Yeah, I don't understand why people seek a Eucharist where they have to re-crucify Christ over and over again for their sins now when the sacrifice was made one time and forever. It's unnecessary. That's why we do things in remembrance so the significance of what Jesus did for us becomes something that, that just absorbs into our mind and our hearts. And what this means then is that we don't have to redo the cross over and over again. It means the cross is a timeless event. It's not simply a historic occurrence like the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the discovery of America or any other kinds of things. Okay, finally I get to our passage today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, Father. And thank you for this high priest. And Father, this, this fulfills the need of our hearts. And, and where people are seeking you, Father, I just pray that this passage opens up to them. Maybe if they're here today, maybe if they're listening online, Father, that they would come to this, this deeper understanding of their need for you. Father, you are the guarantor of this new covenant we're going to be talking about, Father. And I just pray you would just speak. Um, to everyone in, in their hearts right now, that your spirit would just come across them and reveal to them ways that they can see you deeper in this role of high priest. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8, beginning in verses 1 through 2. Now, the main point. <laughs> this is the main point of like the last six weeks that we've been talking about. It's a culmination. The main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human being. You know, three things I want us to focus on here. First of all, we do have the high priest. You don't have to try to find him. He's there for you. If you're a believer in Christ, he is there. And you're going to learn pretty soon just how significant this is. Who sat down at the right hand of the throne, the Magian in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord. Now, we need to understand when we talk about the right hand of God in the Bible, that was a term that was very, very, very um, understood as a position of power. I mean, you think about it, Mama Zebedee was trying to um, appeal to Jesus to give, hit, to give her sons, James and John, to be seated, seated on the right or the left-hand side of God, or Jesus, when he came into his kingdom. 
And you know, Jesus comes out and he says, yeah, that's not mine to give. He also says, are you ready to, to pay what I'm able to pay? They didn't have a slightest clue of what he was talking about. But they knew this was the highest position of power. So, so this right hand of God was something that was huge. This is right hand of God the Father, both administratively and in terms of battle and war. In Mark 16, 19 through 20, it reads, after Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. After that, the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. Then a little bit farther on in the New Testament in Ephesians, Paul talks about this in much more depth. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory of the inheritance of the saints, the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all role, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things. Wow. Not only is he seated at the right hand of God, he's not in an earthly tabernacle. He's in the heavenlies. The heavenlies were a realm around all of us. It actually still exists. <laughs> where, where angels and demons are, where spiritual warfare takes place and where Jesus sits high above it all. He is honor, dominion, power. So it makes a lot of sense, right? After Jesus ascends, they say him at the right hand of, of God, man, they're going out and they're proclaiming who Jesus is. They're not afraid of going to prison. They aren't even afraid of death because they know who is above all. And we can move into Acts 7 as well and see Stephen. You know, Stephen... Stephen preaches his first little sermon to a very adversarial group. And it doesn't go so well for him. Hopefully this morning will go better for me. But what happens with him is, you know, he's talking about who Jesus is and what he has done. And he talks about the temple and, and God going outside and being in people's heart because God doesn't dwell in houses made with human hands. Isn't that awesome? They didn't like it because they wanted to keep God in the Holy of Holies. And what Stephen was saying was, he left and he didn't even ask you. <laughs> so what happens is, he's there and he's, he's looking up and he's going, you know, and they're just ripping their clothes and they're getting upset and they're yelling. And he's looking up and the scripture says his face is like the face of an angel. And he goes, look, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. He broke out. He broke out. The right hand, not in a, in a human building, not in a tabernacle or a temple, but in the heavenlies where the real battle is going on. Jesus baits the Pharisees. In um, Psalm 110, one, you know, this whole thing about Jesus being able to do what he needs to do, you know, the Pharisees are criticizing the um, disciples for quote unquote working on the Sabbath. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, Son of man is even Lord of the Sabbath. All power, all dominion, all authority. So Jesus says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And they were not happy campers. They knew what this right hand thing was. But it means so much more to us. So much more to us. It means that we have an advocate to defend and exonerate. And we just don't have him everywhere. He's in the heavenlies where it's really going on. Revelations 12 says, you know, Satan goes before the throne of God day and night to accuse you. And you, maybe you, you, me, right? Us. He looks for someone to accuse. And he goes before Jesus on his throne. Uh, But you know what? Jesus is the high priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the advocate. And so these poor Hebrew Christians didn't recognize him because he wasn't like their previous priests. Continuing on in Hebrews 8, 3 through 5, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth... He would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. And this is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. It was necessary for this one to have something to offer. The new covenant needed a new redemption for sin, a new plan to deal with forgiveness and relationship with God. And whereas the earthly one served as a, as a um, shadow of what was really going on in heaven, ours serves as the real thing. And so we understand that when, when they were instructed to build this tabernacle, it had to be built specifically to the requirements that God gave them. So they would understand and begin to understand this concept of relationship, this, this, this area of sacrifice and what was going on. But it's really more important to understand of the reality of the heavenlies and what Jesus is doing in that process. So a simulation versus the real presence. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was set up according to strict standards to simulate what was happening in heaven. In the New Testament, Jesus, in real time, is seated at the heavenlies at the right-hand side of God. Jesus would have all things under his feet. He would have power over all things. He became both victim and priest. He became your advocate. He is your sacrifice. He is your lawyer. And he has all power, dominion, and authority. And more than anything else, his blood is the guarantor of the new covenant. So basically it's simple. Earthly priesthood, corrupt. Heavenly priesthood, perfect. Now the cool thing about this this superior high priest is that he serves a superior covenant. Reading in Hebrews 8, 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since a new covenant is established on better promises. 
this ministry he has as the high priest is superior to what's been there before. We've already talked about why. You know, it goes on forever. It's not just a one-time sacrifice, everything else. And the covenant which he is mediator is superior to the old one because it's established on better promises. I don't know if you've ever had this thing where you know, you're working and maybe your job or your pay is up for renegotiation. You know, you're hoping for a better covenant. You're hoping for a better agreement. You want better pay. You want better benefits. Well, no one ever gets this new agreement with better pay and maybe better, um, better benefits. And they don't go back and say, well, you know, uh, no, that wasn't our original agreement. I'll, I'll just go ahead and take the same pay and, and uh, I, I won't take Christmas Eve off and you guys can have it. Uh, no. No, you want the better agreement. It's a better covenant, right? So a covenant is a binding agreement containing parties, terms, and promises. And it's important to note, like I just said, that when a covenant is superseded by a new covenant, a better covenant, the old covenant is null and void. The old covenant is null and void. So let's take a look at the differences between the old and the new covenants. Parties, terms, and promises. The old covenant parties were Jews, circumcised believers. The terms were comply with the law. Faithfully fulfill perfectly the law. If you don't do that, then you have to have a sacrifice made for you every day. Promises, peace, security, prosperity, or face losing your country's protection, go into exile, look at poverty, face death. The New Testament, the better covenant, the better agreement. Those who by faith have believed on him, who trust him with their life, the terms, faith and obedience, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. James says, faith without works is dead. Promises, no condemnation. Forgiveness, eternal life, purpose in life, and reconciliation with God. And not only that, a comforter, an internal power called the Holy Spirit to come and empower and sanctify you. So reviewing the old and new covenants, one um, sacrifice was the blood of animals. New covenant was the blood of Christ. Old covenant written on stone. New covenant written on hearts. Three was a shadow on the old covenant. This one has substance. It's really happening. Old Covenant, glorious. You can't say it's not glorious, right? Moses coming down with the tablets. That's pretty cool, right? But the New Covenant, the righteousness of Christ, is more glorious. The Old Covenant had an end. The New Covenant has no end. Based on the law of Moses, the New Covenant's based on the law of the Messiah, the law of love. The Old Covenant... Law of works versus the law of faith in the new covenant. The law, law of sin and death, the law of spirit and life. Old covenant had many sacrifices. The new covenant, one sacrifice. 
Old covenant, powerless to save. New covenant, powerful to save. An annual atonement for the old covenant, an eternal atonement for the new covenant, never ending. An earthly tabernacle for the old covenant, the temple, a heavenly tabernacle for the new covenant. One was the ministry of death. He had to constantly avoid the fear of death. In the righteousness of Christ, it's the ministry of life. That's why we stand for life. We talk about new life in Christ. It's life, the ministry of life. Old covenant, outer form, the flesh. It's what I do. It's how hard I try. It's what I, I can accomplish. Ah, new covenant? Yeah, it's the inner reality of the spirit. It's what Jesus has done for us. In the old covenant, we have the ministry of condemnation. Violating the law meant you had to pay for that. And in the new covenant, we have the ministry of reconciliation. This means incredible things for you if you're open to it you will begin to grow in your understanding of Jesus as your high priest. This better covenant had the perfect priest. We have Jesus who's the mediator of the new covenant. We no longer need earthly priests to simulate what we have in reality. And you see other, other kinds of faiths and religions, they try to recreate this earthly priesthood. And you see from this passage today that that is one not only unnecessary, but it's sad. They're weak. They can't deliver. We have the perfect advocate. You don't have to worry about getting a better attorney. You've got the best. The more you come to terms with who you are in relationship to God, the more you will appreciate the importance and need for Jesus being your high priest. It's all about your relationship to God. It also means we can approach the throne of God with confidence. Isn't that nice? You don't have to be timid. I always get so concerned when people say, well, I don't know. I've done this, 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 this. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. Oh, you have the perfect advocate. You have the perfect sacrifice. You have the perfect high priest. If we follow the new covenant, we're a party by faith. We abide in him through obedience and grace. He gives us the spirit to empower and lead and the promise of eternal life. We are his adopted children. And think about that for just a little bit, Right? We became his adopted children. That means that we're all brothers and sisters. We're all family. Therefore, I'm sorry, we have the best attorney. Our ransom has been paid. We are free to serve him. And then comes the culmination in Romans 8, one of my favorite passages. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, new covenant, has set me free from the law of sin and death, old covenant. We've talked about this priest for a long time, several weeks we've been talking about. But what really can tell you if you get it, if you understand it, is how you see Jesus. How do you see him in your life? Do you see him as an accuser? Do you see him as an authoritarian commander? Do you see him as the district attorney trying to prove you wrong? Do you think he's holding your life back 
because you're just not good enough? Or do you see him as your advocate of the new covenant, this redemption, this freedom? An advocate who's taken away all condemnation. How do you pray? Do you pray to the high priest or do you need more? Do you think someone else is going to be able to fulfill that purpose for you? That somehow God's not going to listen to you unless you have someone else with you? Someone better? No, you have direct access to the high priest. Scripture says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind. Who is it? The man, Jesus Christ. But the real question today is, are you a party to the new covenant? How do you get into this deal? How do you get into this contract, this agreement? Like I already said, if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you repent and seek him as your Lord, you will be saved. Behold, today is the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? This is the high priest. He's your high priest. So are you a party of the new covenant? Our challenge this morning, to perfect our perceptions and come into his presence with confidence and thanksgiving, knowing who he is and growing in that knowledge day by day. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, Father. Um, help us to see you as our high priest, as the mediator between us and God, Father, the one who, who connects us to the covenant and the one that delivers the promises of the covenant. And Father, help us always to keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. And, and as we go into this time of communion, we, we get to this picture of what you've done for us. And we come in remembrance, Father, not to re-sacrifice. Father, we know that, that what you did for us was for one time, for all time. And Father, as we just take this time, Father, help us to, to kind of perfect our image of you as this high priest as we're taking that cup, as we're taking your bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.